Hey, everybody. Welcome to JPD Weekly. Last time we talked about how news of extraterrestrial life would affect Christianity, especially in light of recent disclosures we've been getting from our government with uh, more likely on the way. We dealt with arguments from inerrancy of the Bible and would it mean that Jesus would have to die on alien planets, and we're going to deal with some more objections today. If you haven't had a chance, please go to dailyrenegade.com right now and get the full episode we did last week so you can be caught up for this episode. And if you haven't had a chance, no worries. You can still follow along with us right here, right now, and watch the first part later. So uh, we left off with the question of the image of God, because the, the, the objection comes up, if aliens exist, wouldn't Jesus have to die on all those other planets? Well, we talked about how redemption is unique to humans. Animals don't need uh, redemption. You know, there, there's no uh, there, there's, Christ didn't come in the form of an animal to redeem them as well. And so th- th- it's not needed for animals. And we also talked a little bit about how the image of God, uh, our, our standing with God, our need for redemption is not because we're conscious or intelligent or it's not anything like that. And we're going to get more into that this, this episode. Uh, what is the image of God and why, why does that not relate to our need for redemption? And why would that put extraterrestrials in a category different from human beings. Now, when, and I want to mention too, the reason I'm doing these videos is there have been a, like I mentioned, there's been a lot of news lately about further disclosure of UFOs, and it's going to bring up more questions to Christians. How how do we deal with this? How how does the church deal with this? I recently uh, did a movie. I, I, put together a film. It's available right now only at dailyrenegade.com. That's the only place at the time of this recording. By the time this goes out, it might be available somewhere else. But uh, right now, every other place has not allowed me to put it up and, and have it available for rental or anything like that. Only I can only do it at Daily Renegade. Amazon denied it without any reason given. So uh, we're going to try getting it on YouTube and Vimeo rental, but I don't know I, I just don't know. The only place I know is going to be fine because it's my own is dailyrenegade.com. So if you're a paying member, a monthly or a yearly member, you can go and get that movie. It's called What Comes Next. Uh, Derek Gilbert is in it. Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis, Pastor Steve Ciccolani. If you know him, he's, he's got a huge following online. He is in it. Uh, I, I, of course, am in it. My wife, Christina Peck. And we also have, uh, as a narrator, Zachary Lautitas. Uh, he's an actor. You might be familiar with him from Prison Break and uh, a couple other movies that he's done. But he's been doing research into this. He actually reached out to me from the book because he got a hold of the book, The Day the Earth Stands Still. Uh, and that was pretty amazing to me because you never know who you're going to reach. But um, he got a hold of the book. He he messaged me, and uh, we've been in contact. We're going to get him on the show sometime soon because he's been doing some work in this area as well. And he has a unique perspective uh, given uh, his stance in Hollywood and things like that. This is a truly historic moment. It will be known as the Abraham Accord. Ever since the news broke of the peace agreement between Israel and the United Arab Emirates, many Christians have been wondering what it all means. Is it significant? Is it momentous and historic? Or could it even be prophetic? Most importantly, after this, what comes next?
Everybody said this would be impossible. If you want to get the movie, you can get it right now. And uh, but you have to be a paying member, so this is not for trial members. Uh, no offense to trial members; it's just anybody can get a trial. And I, I trust paying members more than I trust just anybody out there, you know, because I, I don't want somebody ripping it off the website and then selling it on their own website or or you know just causing problems for us or or uploading it to YouTube. I mean, I, we we actually had somebody uploaded Silent Cry to BitChute and stuff, and it causes problems. It causes a lot of issues um, and too many to get into right now, but it does not revolve. When people do that, they take money away from not just us because like for Silent Cry, all the profits of that go to Whispering Ponies Ranch, which is to help kids who have been sexually abused. So when somebody steals the movie and puts it up online for free, they're stealing money from those kids who desperately need it. And so I, I have a big problem with that. So, you, you know, there are people out there that want to complain that you don't get everything for free all the time. Well, think about that next time. You, you know, I mean, you don't know who you're taking money from. So, uh, you, you can complain about it all you want, but all you're doing is just showing your own ignorance uh, to people who want to complain about that. So uh, that that's why whenever somebody compl- like just outright complains, you know, having a question is one thing, but if somebody just outright complains about, you know, oh, I shouldn't have to pay for a membership, you know, uh, freely give is freely given or whatever. It's the standard thing that people say. I just delete those comments because all it's doing is just showing your ignorance and you don't know what you're talking about. Um, so anyway... Laying all that aside, uh, th- this is only for paying members, and uh, so if you want to get a hold of the movie, you can do so, and you know that you can you can do it safely because it's through our website. It's through dailyrenegade.com, so you can get a monthly membership, or uh, you can get a year. If you can afford the year, do the year because you actually it's actually cheaper in the long run that way. When you work out the math, you get two months for free. So if you can do that, do that. Uh, but you can go watch that film. And I think that'll help answer a lot of questions for us Christians what, what, and what to expect in the near future. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we, we talked a little bit about that in the first ep- episode in the, in the last video. If you haven't had a chance, again, no worries. You can follow along in this video. And, uh, but that kind of gets you caught up. We, we left off with the term image of God. Now, when that term, image of God, when it's properly defined, it does show that from the uh, understanding that intelligent alien life would not have been created in the image of God, it shows that Christianity actually could sustain quite easily an extraterrestrial reality. If it turned out aliens were real, there's no theological issues. There's no issues uh, from the Bible or from Christianity in general. Humanity would still maintain the uniqueness of being created in the image of God because extraterrestrial life, if it exists, would be excluded from that designation, from the image of God. They would not be created in the image of God like we are. So once we properly define the image of God, the solution comes out you know, without any of the common problems used to argue against the possibility of intelligent life on another planet. Uh, so you don't, you, you wouldn't need Jesus dying on all these other planets. It just wouldn't apply. Now, the Bible gives us a clear description of the image uh, uh, in, of God in the book of Genesis. Quote, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. End quote. Uh, so God 
and this that was end quote for <laughs> the Bible verse continues. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That is uh, Genesis 1, 26 through 28. That's from the ESV. So it's common, uh, as it has been for centuries, to define the image of God as something to do with intelligence or the ability to communicate, uh, the possession of a spirit or a soul, the presence of a consciousness, the ability to exercise free will, uh, the capacity for abstract thought, or some combination of those attributes. Uh, it's, it's, that's what most people think and have for a long time the image of God is, but that's not what it is. Through biblical clarification, the image of God is none of those attributes. And the reason for this is that the image is what makes mankind distinguishably unique in relation to any other created thing on, uh, in the universe. Uh, in his book, The Unseen Realm, Dr. Michael Heiser explains the image of God from a theological and biblical perspective. So from the book of Genesis and using the term divine image bearing, Dr. Heiser lists description, descriptions of the image of God. He says, uh, of the image of God, both men and women are included. Divine image bearing is what makes humankind distinct from the rest of earthly creation, so plants and animals. The text of Genesis 126 does not inform us that divine image bearing makes us distinctly different from heavenly beings, those sons of God who were already in existence at the time of creation. The plurals in Genesis 126 means that in some way we share something with them when it comes to bearing God's image. There is something about the image that makes humankind like God in some way. There is nothing in the text to suggest that the image has been or can be bestowed incrementally or partially. So you're either created as God's image bearer or you aren't. Uh, one cannot speak of being partly or potentially bearing God's image. This tells us that the in image of God must be something possessed in its entirety by every human being from the moment of the, or right at the beginning of existence at conception, uh, regardless of physical or mental development. So the, condi the conditions that Dr. Heiser listed are mandated by what Genesis 126 says about the image, that there are other important verses, uh, but there are other important verses to consider as well. Um, so we have Genesis 5.1. This is the written account of Adam's line. When God created humankind, he made him in the likeness of God. Genesis 9.6 says, whoever sheds the blood of humankind, by humankind shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God has man image of God has God made humankind. So if we think humankind as image bearers, uh, rather than the image being an attribute of humankind, then these things start to make more sense. Um, humans are representations of God on earth. We bear his image. We are to represent him on earth and take care of it in the way that he would if he were here. This is why murder is such a grave offense. Uh, when someone kills another human being, he's essentially killing God in effigy. So the image is what humans are, not what humans have. You don't have the image of God. You are the image of God. Th this is why extraterrestrials, if they do exist, they would not be considered as being created in the image of God. They're not human. They're not the image of God. They weren't put in charge of the earth the way that human beings are. God only tasked humans 
with uh, being his representatives on earth, and therefore extraterrestrials would not be made in the image of God. It's a status. So purely by status, not considering intelligence or ability, and as far as we can discern from the biblical descriptions of humanity's uniqueness, uh, extraterrestrials would likely be grouped closer to animals in the sense of not playing a central or even a major role in God's plan for redemption. So that brings us to other heavenly and divine beings. You know, what are we to do with the plurals in Genesis 1.26? Let us make man in our image. I think that that's just the Trinity, but there are other uh, ways of thinking about it. Uh, so Dr. Heiser, he says that, you know, because other divine beings are members of the divine council. He explains this in uh, The Unseen Realm, his book, uh, are also God's images. So hu humankind is still unique because humans are God's images on earth. Uh, humanity, not any other divine being, was placed in charge. So ancient Jewish text tells us that one divine being thought uh, what, that this was unjust and that humans were... that that humans were in charge over the earth as God representatives. Um, and this divine being called the serpent in Genesis refused to bow to humanity's authority, seeing himself as a superior human being. So he rebelled and plotted revenge. And we get the rest of that story in the book of Genesis. So taking all of that into account, there's no real problem with the idea of extraterrestrial life from biblical descriptions of creation, humanity, and God's redemptive plans. The supposed problems brought up from people like Thomas Paine uh, are just contrived. Uh, they hold no real weight against Scripture. At its heart, using the Bible to either support or deny the existence of extraterrestrial life is an argument made purely from silence. Uh, one other argument that's brought up, uh, making many Christians uncomfortable, states that the angels in the Bible are actually extraterrestrials. That obviously is untrue. But that claim is out there. And most often this claim comes from non-believers, uh, usually from the standpoint of ancient astronaut theory or the ancient aliens view. Uh, the problem with this is in order to argue the point and still maintain a non-Christian view, one must cherry pick verses to support it and ignore others that refute it. So at its base, this method is intellectually dishonest. Uh, most taking this view likely don't accept it in order to be purposely malicious to Christianity or promulgate untruths. This doesn't make it any less incoherent. So likely what's happening is that most holding this view know the, the, the few verses involved in the argument but are generally unaware of the biblical, biblical text as a whole. Um, after all, there are pastors and prominent figures in ministry who do not fully understand the whole scripture and who would have uh, trouble defending basic doctrines of Christianity. So when taking scripture as a whole, a person who is determined to reject Christianity would not want to hold the view of angels being misidentified extraterrestrials. There's four major problems with that view. First, Mortal bodies would be required of extraterrestrials if they are actual alien bodies recovered from UFO crash sites and stored somewhere. But the Bible clearly teaches that aliens are immortal and they do not have determined lifespans. For example, um, quote, For when they, people, rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. That's Mark 12, 25. And the angels who did not keep their own position but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains in deep in the deepest darkness for the judgment of the great day, Jude 1.6. Uh, so angels in heaven have no need of reproduction because they're immortal. As for angels who fell, as described in the book of Jude, if they are kept in eternal chains, it would stand to reason that the angels would have to be immortal as well. 
Uh, second problem, angels, Malachim in Hebrew, are always depicted in human form. Speaking only of angels, there's no Malach, no angel, you know, described in non-human form. Now, of course, there are seraphim, cherubim, and ophanim who appear in non-human manifestations. When we say angel, we're talking about the job title of Malach, Malachim, messenger. Uh, so that, that's not the same as saying seraphim, cherubim, that kind of stuff. We, we do have non-human manifestations of those, yet even these have no resemblance to the appearance of beings commonly reported in alien abduction scenarios. The only race of otherworldly beings that remotely resemble any angelic entity described in the Bible would be the Nordics, yet there's even problems, problems there as well. Third issue, angels are never described as needing a flying craft to travel from one place to another. They would uh, more closely be described as extra-dimensional beings rather than extraterrestrial. So certain verses describe chariots and angels together. So Psalm 68, 18, 2 Kings 6, 17. But an actual relationship between vehicle and pilot is never established. Uh, also, note that the heavenly chariots in Scripture are usually described with horses. Uh, extraterrestrial spaceships, for obvious reasons, would not be pulled by horses. Fourth issue, if extraterrestrials were misidentified as angels in the New Testament, then logic would lead us to accept whatever else the New Testament says about these beings uh, would be, you know, so in other words, it would be illogical and incoherent to use the Bible to prove that angels are actually extraterrestrials, but then reject what the Bible says about these beings. Uh, so that brings us back to the question of the Nordics, as well as any other supposed extraterrestrial being. Consider these biblical descriptions of angels and try to imagine replacing angels with extraterrestrial in order to see if they line up with, with what's commonly taught from ancient astronaut theorists. Uh, angels only rescue the followers of Jesus at the rapture and second coming. We get that from Matthew 24, 31, and 1. Uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.16-18, through 18, 2 Thessalonians um, 1. Angels announced that Jesus was the Messiah and Savior of all mankind. Would we think that aliens did that? Luke 2.10-15. through 15. Aliens are inferior and subject to Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3.21-22. through 22. Do you hear any proponents of ancient astronaut theory saying that? Angels carry out the wrath of God on the earth and unbelievers in the end times. Revelation 14, 17 through 15, verse 1. Now, there are, of course, uh, many others such as these, uh, but this short list should be enough to show a logical disconnect between biblical angels and modern descriptions of being witnessed during abduction uh, scenarios. Now, what about the argument of directed panspermia? Uh, while it is true that Christianity can accommodate a genuine extraterrestrial reality, there are still aspects of the debate that Christian theology would reject. One of those aspects is the idea stating that extraterrestrials created humanity. It's sometimes called directed panspermia. Again, this view does not remove the question of the ultimate creator. So stating that extraterrestrials created humanity does not get someone away from God. Because the next obvious question would be, then where did they come from? Where did the aliens come from? Some might even be tempted to state that God himself is an extraterrestrial, but that's nonsense because not only does that theory run similar into similar problems as the extraterrestrials as angels position, but it also doesn't explain the origin of matter. So, for example, no one who is taken seriously claims that aliens from another planet created the universe. 
you know, there, there are some other uh, major problems with the idea of panspermia, not only for Christians, but for non-Christians as well. So the idea that aliens, specifically the ones that people experience in abduction scenarios, created humanity, that's extremely attractive to many people today. But if we look deeper into that issue, we discover that this idea may not be as appealing when we consider all of its ramifications and consequences. Typically, those who hold this view agree on a number of things. They most often agree that humanity was created by extraterrestrials who came to Earth long ago. They um, believe that these beings and their creation of mankind is described in ancient Mesopotamian texts that are mirrored in the Bible. Also, they typically believe that these ETs are the ancient gods of humanity, mistaken as deities, but still are creators. There are uh, logical and negative conclusions coming from that idea, though typically these are not discussed in the mainstream. So, for example, if ETs created humanity, then human beings do not possess an inherent dignity. So, according to ancient Mesopotamian cre uh, creation myths, human beings were created as slaves by the Anunnaki gods. From uh, the Epic of Atrahasis, quote, the seven great An Anuna gods were burdening the Agigi gods with forced labor. Ea made ready to speak and said to the gods, his brothers, what cal calumny have we lay to their charge? Their forced labor was heavy, their misery too much. Every day the outcry was loud. We could hear the clamor. There is Belit Ili, the midwife, is present. Let her create then a human, a man. Let him bear the yoke. Let him bear the yoke. Let man assume the, the drudgery of the god. Belit Ili, the midwife, is present. Let the midwife create a human being. Let man assume the drudgery of the god. End quote. Basically, the gods were tasked with hard work, so they decided to create humans to do the work instead. And according to those ancient texts, humans are nothing more than a slave race. So one might wonder if, in this context, humanity was created in the image of the gods in the same way that the Bible teaches were created in the image of Yahweh. Uh, but despite what some of the ancient astronaut literature claims, the image of God, that idea, does not appear in Mesopotamian texts. It's purely biblical, uh, purely theistic, uh, and it, it's not found anywhere else. And in fact, the word for image never appears in the Mesopotamian account of humanity's creation. But in Mesopotamian understanding, we were created far below any image concept. We were created as slaves. Now, of course, that clashes drastically with what many alien abductees and experiencers have been told about humanity. Many of them, even on an individual basis, are told that they're special and loved. Yet at the same time, they're expected to believe the contrasting creation accounts of supposed Adenaki alien beings. So how can the message of uh, being special be trusted by the abductee experiencer? Shouldn't aliens be aware of what their ancient ancestors said about them? Uh, the conflicting accounts simply don't add up. We can contrast this creation account to the biblical one. In a biblical worldview, every man, woman, child, and even unborn person has inherent worth as an image bearer of God. The Bible teaches, as we saw earlier, that life is sacred. We are God's representatives on earth. Through biblical teaching, every person truly is special, unique, and loved in God's eyes. If the alien creator worldview is correct, there is no higher purpose for uh, the life of any human. Uh, nobody is truly special. There's no concept of eternal reward in heaven from a personal and a loving God. 
And in fact, if any concept uh, humans have of God is actually a physical alien life form who came to be through naturalistic evolutionary means, then that limits reality to the physical universe. There would be no notion of a spiritual reality outside of material reality from which uh, physical reality comes. Uh, essentially and logically, any sense of spirituality would have to be abandoned. Otherwise, it would be illogical and inconsistent to say that aliens were not created by any sort of God, yet they are spiritual beings like us with a soul. So where did the alien soul come from? You know, are we to suppose that it evolved as well? Uh, it's simply illogical, yet these contradictory ideas are what many abductees claim to have been told by their alien visitors. Those who fall into the category of those who believe the universe itself had life and treat it as a living being or a biocosm have another uh, uh, logical inconsistency as well. No matter how spiritual they might think the universe is, without a creator, it is still composed of matter and nothing beyond it. Um, usually those who hold this view consider the universe as its own creator, regarding it this way avoids the idea of a personal deity who transcends creation. It's an attractive idea to some because it allows the individual to avoid religion, the Bible, and personal accountability that Christianity teaches while still maintaining a belief in something bigger than one's own self. However, again, the logical conclusion of that view is that there is nothing outside of ordinary matter. No, no one is special nor unique. Uh, nothing we do or believe really matters in the grand scheme of things because there's no grand scheme of things, you know. Uh, now, of course, most who hold that view would not agree with that conclusion, but therein lies the inconsistency. How can a spiritual understanding exist without a spiritual reality? If aliens created human beings, there is no higher purpose for the life of any given human. So that means that humans are simply a higher form of animal and would be considered lesser than the aliens who created humanity. So the only expressed purpose of humanity is servitude or slavery to the alien creators. Now, of course, some may make the point that there are multiple races of aliens and some want to help us uh, achieve our full potential, but that still creates problems. How are we to know the difference between the good aliens and the bad ones? It seems that the bad aliens would not identify themselves as such, and all aliens would claim to be good. Uh, you know, according to ancient Mesopotamian creation myths, the gods behave the same as humans, meaning that they're capable of deception and of acting purely out of self-interest. So how can we know if they can be trusted, and who, who can we trust? Um... If alien abduction scenarios are true, how are the violations humans have to endure considered benevolent? If a human being were kidnapping a person and subjecting him to undergo forced medical procedures, would we have that same outlook? You know, why, why should it be any different just because it's an alien and not a human causing the abuse? Uh, why have some of the world's leading authorities on alien abductions, such as Dr. J David Jacobs, concluded that the motivation of aliens is not in our best interest or for our benefit, but, but are for their own? Another point, um, which is, uh, we, we cover more in uh, The Day the Earth Stands Still, if the alien creator view is correct, the idea of racial superiority and inequality would be true and consistent. Uh, this, the, this conclusion comes from the Mesopotamian texts that tell us that God's created kingship for humankind. So mirrored in certain works of modern ancient astronaut literature, more Anunnaki blood went into certain humans uh, rather than others. 
So this means that certain bloodlines are inherently superior because they are royal. And those who hold that view would logically have to ask themselves if they are among the royal bloodline. Are they as racially gifted by the gods as other people? Are other non-Caucasian races in the royal bloodline? Uh, if the idea of racial superiority is true, should we, shouldn't we defend it? You know, will the gods enforce this idea if and when they return? Will there be certain bloodlines who rule and other bloodlines who serve? You know, so of course, most who believe this would reject any form of racism or racial superiority. But again, that's the logical inconsistency. If aliens created humans, especially if the ancient Mesopotamian text is an accurate portrayal of the creation process, as many ancient astronaut theorists maintain, then by the words of the ancient text themselves, the gods created kingship for some and not for others. So in that view, by default and on its face, some bloodlines are superior and others are inferior. And in contrast, the biblical understanding of creation in its original context maintains all races, this is the biblical view, all races are equal because all races are human. All humans, male and female, are God's images. Imagers, uh, humans who follow God's plan for salvation are all considered royal offspring, every single one. They are regarded as sons of God who will rule over a new earth with him. That privilege is not that. That privilege is available to uh, everyone who wants it. It doesn't depend on bloodline, race, position in life. None of that. It's a gift made available to everyone by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. One last point: If the alien creator view is true, the alien creators are just that—creator masters. They are not brothers. This comes up quite often in alien abduction literature, as well as that of ancient uh, astronaut theorists. So typically. Alien beings claim to be both our creators and our brothers. However, that type of relationship is never explained. If aliens are our creators, they logically cannot be our brothers and on the same playing field as human beings. They would be superior, not only in intellect and technology, but in status. We, as their creation, would be below them. They would have the right of ownership over our bodies, souls, lives, and even children. Anything they do to us would be completely justified. This also means that royal kingship would be a monarchy, not a democracy. The creator creates and the creature obeys. The elite command and the rest of us submit or otherwise suffer the consequences. So whatever those consequences are, even if they are torture or death, they would be right they would be the right of the creator and thus justified. Humans would have no right to complain about being abducted or suffering through abuse. No human being would have the right to demand justice. The aliens would have the legal claim over every human being and would be free, even morally, to do whatever they wish to us. So to contrast once again with biblical theology, according to the Bible, we're all destined to be kings. Uh, any, you know, all who um, accept Jesus as their Savior. Anyone wanting to claim this destiny is free to do so. Uh, the image of God's status is democratized in that all humans are God's offsprings and destined to be rulers. We're even destined to judge and rule over the angels. Jesus Christ, along with being our Lord and Savior, uh, as being God born in the flesh, actually is our brother and not our owner. We find this in the book of Hebrews. It has been uh, testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels, 
You have crowned him in with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source." That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Hebrews 2, 6 through 12, uh, ESV. Now, other questions come up in the alien creator view, such as do aliens really love human beings, and how would we know? If the stories about the gods in ancient texts are true, why are they so vastly different than the messages received by abductees and experiencers? Can these beings be trusted? You know, what kind of love do they feel for the humans they visit and converse with? Is it a sacrificial love, or is it the kind of love one has for a pet or a thing? You know, what level is their emotional attachment? Do these alien beings love the humans they interact with as you would love your child? Uh, if they really do love humans in this way, why did they create us as slaves? Why, why did they create us and leave? Why did they create us and hide? Why can't anyone have a personal relationship with one if he or she wants? Why would these beings deny their children or their brethren? You know, the fact is, according to this view, humanity is at best an experiment rather than a loved child. This is why Christianity would reject the idea of extraterrestrials creating humanity. The God of the Bible has an emotional investment in us. However, aliens claiming to be the creators of mankind do not. Uh, to them, if what they claimed was true, humanity is nothing more than a detached scientific curiosity. The creator aliens themselves would be comparable to an absentee parent. And that's at best. At worst, uh, they would be compared to a cold, loveless, and detached researcher. So think about it in this way. Is this how we love our children? Is this how we would want our children to remember their childhood? You know, of course not. There's something much better than the alien creator view. The Bible describes a creator far different from the logical conclusions following any alien creator understanding of humanity. So to Christians, we are loved with a sacrificial love from a father who is always there and who follows through on his promises. And he does this consistently without fail. This is why Christianity as a whole would not accept the idea of directed panspermia. It's simply inferior to and less attractive than everything coming uh, with the biblical description of God as humanity's creator. Now, what about the aliens of today, or should I say imposter aliens from a Christian point of view? What, would, what, what did our ancient ancestors think? Is it possible that the topic of human races can actually uh, play into this. We're going to be talking about all that and much more in the members only section. So do make sure that you go over to dailyrenegade.com and get a membership today for the rest of this episode and so much more. Again, if you enjoy this topic, we do have a documentary film available based on me and Derek Gilbert's book, The Day the Earth Stands Still, all about the uh, Israel UFO connection what it means in a Biden, Biden presidency, and how how on earth did we actually predict the disclosure that we got in 2018? Me and Derek pr predicted that, and we have proof of it. 
because uh, the book was published before that news came out. Um, we predicted it before it happened. There's actually a formula you can follow to predict these things, and uh, I teach you that in the movie. Um, I'm in it. Derek Gilbert's in it. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis is in it. Uh, Pastor Steve Ciccolani, if you're familiar with him, he's in it. My wife, Christina Peck, is in it. And uh, it's um, narrated by Zachary Lautitas, who, if you are familiar with some of his movies or the show Prison Break, he was in that for a while while it was on. Uh, so you're going to want to check out this movie. It, it is called What Comes Next. And it, it, there's no other documentary on the market like it. Right now, it is only available to paying members at dailyrenegade.com. Now, we do have free trials available to the website where you can get the rest of this episode, but the film is only available for monthly or yearly members. So go to dailyrenegade.com right now to see the film, plus the rest of this episode, and so much more. We have many episodes of many different shows, and we're adding new shows all the time. We actually just added... Um, uh, Today, at the time of this recording, unless something changes, uh, but Pastor Mike Spaulding will be joining the team and producing content for us. So we're very excited to announce that. So, members, hang on the line. Everybody else, thank you so much. Take care. God bless.